as it is Veterans Day, we do think about freedom. We do think about the freedoms that are afforded to us as members of this, this country. And ironically, I, I actually didn't look at the calendar when planning the sermon series. Today we're talking about freedom when it comes to the people of, e, uh, of Israel. If you remember, the, the Israelites are captive in, in Egypt, and they have been for generations and generations. And we've talked about the person of Moses the last three weeks, the fact that God set him apart, that he protected him, that God has a plan for him, and that he sees him through, that God doesn't just send him and let him be on his way. God is going to make sure that he knows that he is with him. And what we see unfold through where we left off in Exodus last week to where we are today, and that's Exodus 12, what we see unfold is this God fulfilling His promise. God goes and He says, a mighty hand has to convince Pharaoh to let you go. And so God extends that mighty hand through these plagues. And finally we get to this last plague, the one that is going to, to be the one that, the, the straw that breaks the camel's back, the one that is going to send them out of Egypt finally. And in Exodus 12, God gives Moses these instructions. This is how this is going to go down. So Exodus 12, verse 21 says, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. God was instituting from, day, from this point this Passover meal, the Feast of Unleavened Bread as it would continue. This Passover meal was going to be what happens every year as a remembrance for generation to generation to come that this is what happened when God led his people out of Egypt. And so he tells Moses these instructions, and Moses is to go and to tell them all of these things that God has told them. And so he goes and he says, you need to get this Passover lamb, and you need to slaughter it. This Passover lamb, there's some specific things that has to happen. First, Exodus 12:3, this lamb is to be to uh, be chosen five days before the sacrifice. They're going to go out, they're going to see, and they have need to look five days before the Passover. This is what we need to look for. This is the criteria that, that this lamb has to have. And so these chosen five days before. It's told us that this, this lamb has to be male. Exodus 12.5, not only that, but it has to be unblemished. Exodus 12.5 as well. So you're, when you go out five days before, this is what you're supposed to look for. A lamb, a male lamb that is unblemished. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. And then in 12.6, there's the instructions that it's to be slaughtered at twilight. And in this time, twilight is right before, well, it is this time too, I guess, genius, that it's right before nighttime. But in this time, the, 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 what they called that was uh, between the hours of 3 and 5. Right? So this is, this is twilight. The hours of three and five. So sometime in that hours, those hours, you're supposed to slaughter this lamb. But you're supposed to do it very specifically. Exodus twelve forty six tells us that no bones are to be broken in this lamb. It has to be uh, eaten. It cannot be broken in any way. And we're going to talk about this in just a second. But the blood from that lamb has a significance. It's supposed to be put on the door frame of their homes. And the last instruction that is given is that they are to eat the meat from the sacrifice. And if there's anything that's left over, they're supposed to burn it up. There's not to be anything left. We see actually a beautiful picture that when they talk about having enough food for your family, that if your lamb can feed more than you, you give it to someone else whose lamb might not feed their family. You see a sense of community and belonging here. 
And so this is what Israel does. They go and they get this lamb and they sacrifice these lambs and they do what God tells them to do. Exodus twelve twenty two. It says, take, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. He will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. The point of all all of this is for them to get this blood, to dip hyssop in it, to put it on the doorframes of their house. And so when God passes through, When God sees this blood, it's a signal that this is a faithful house, this is an Israelite house. And so what God does is God does not permit death to come into that home. And we see what happens. God protected those whose doorframe was covered by the blood of the Lamb. God protected them. We see in Exodus just a chilling story. The Bible tells us that there wasn't a household in Egypt in which there wasn't someone dead. The firstborn of of humans, the firstborn of livestock, all, all of them die unless they were in a house that was protected by God. And this is, this is it. This is what finally is, uh, Egypt has enough. Pharaoh calls Moses and the elders in and says, get out, get out. The people of Egypt are so eager to see them get out that they do what God tells Moses that they're going to do. They give them gifts on the way out because their words were, if you remain here, we're all going to die. So we will give you whatever you want. Just get out. And so this is the situation that the Israelites find themselves in. They are finally set free, but they're only surviving because of this blood that was shed and this blood that was put on the door frames of their house. You see, there's a tie-in for us. And that's that Passover was never meant to be the end game. Passover wasn't always going to be the one thing that you remembered year after year. It was a small vision in part of what God was going to do. And what we celebrate as Christians is the fact that God came about and He did something better. In fact, the whole book of Hebrews, we've been going through it on our Wednesday afternoon Bible study uh, for 13 weeks. The whole book of Hebrews is, this stuff in the Old Testament was good, but Jesus is better. This was in part, but Jesus makes it whole. And what you and I can celebrate today is that we have Jesus. If you look at 1 Corinthians 5-7, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, telling them that they are bringing in some things from their old life and trying to assimilate it into their new life. And he says that you can't do that. You can't just bring these things that you don't want to give up from who you used to be and try to make them fit into your Christianity. There's, there's a new life that happens. He says, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Paul uses this phrase, our Passover lamb. He is the one who sets us free. Let's take a look at how he does that. Remember that the lamb was chosen five days before. Well, five days before Jesus dies, he marches into Jerusalem. 
He marches in and there's shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us. But the first reference to Jesus being this lamb actually comes all the way back in John 1. When he comes down, John looks out and tells all of his followers, behold the lamb of God. You see, from day one, it wasn't uh, a mystery to John. This is, this is who he is. This is his purpose. This is what he's called to do. And so he comes into Jerusalem, and they are celebrating he has been chosen. We're getting ready to celebrate Christmas, and I don't think that this is debatable, but Jesus was a man, okay? And Luke tells us, he tells Mary, you will conceive and you will give birth to a son. But he was also unblemished. 1 Peter 1.19 tells us that. Also, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, and John 19, 6. All of these tell us that he was without blemish or defect. He was exactly what was needed. We see in Matthew 27 the fact that he was slaughtered at twilight, about three in the afternoon. Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know that no bones were broken on Jesus. Remember, through everything that was going on, the soldiers were panicking, and so the way that they hurried up the process is they would go and take this big club, and they would break someone's knees so that they would not be able to pull themselves up anymore on the cross, so they would suffocate faster, and they get to Jesus, and they see that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. And the same thing that or not the same thing, the thing that the blood of the Lamb was to do for the Israelites, the blood of Jesus does for us. Matthew twenty six twenty eight tells us this is my blood of the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And then what we just participated here in worship this morning is that we do eat a meal that symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus Christ every single week. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Which means something very significant for those of us who have put our hope and our trust in Him. That means we're safe. God protects those whose lives are covered by the blood of the lamb. That means this. You see, death is still out to get you. Now, unfortunately, physical death is going to happen. It's a byproduct of sin. Physical death is going to happen unless Jesus comes back in our lifetime. My feel-good message of the day is that death is going to happen. But that second death is the one that's after you the most. It's the one that wants to separate you eternally from God, to keep you ostracized from Him, to keep you in pain and suffering. It doesn't want you to have a relationship with Him. And yet the blood of Jesus Christ, if it is over our lives, is a signal that when that comes, God says, just as He said to the destroyer in Exodus, not this one. Move along. You and I get to celebrate that every week. If we're Christians, we get to celebrate that every week. Week. We get to celebrate that every day. That when death comes knocking, asking for permission, our God and our Father says, no, not this one. Ephesians 2.13 says, remember, or 2.12 and 13 says, remember, at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship of, in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without, uh, without God in this world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousnesses, consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? The blood of Christ in our life unites us with God, brings us to God. First John tells us that it is constantly washing away our sins. So that when you and I have a relationship with Jesus, that means that you and I are safe from death. That's worth an amen and that's worth a life lived for Him. You see, the price has been set free. Or the price has been paid you have been set free. If you are a Christian, the price has been paid. You don't have to pay it. It's been paid. And the result of it is you have been set free. You're free of sin. You're free of the bondage of this world. You're free from the standards of this world. You're free from anything that used to hold you down. In Christ, you are free. But here's the thing. The Israelites were free. They were free. They were free all of about 48 hours. And then trouble came. They looked out and there was a Red Sea in front of them and they didn't think a million and a half swimmies were available and so they weren't quite sure how they were going to make it through there. And then they looked back and charging from them is an Egyptian army who realized that letting a million and a half of your free laborers go was not a good economic decision. So they're really angry and they want to come and bring them back. And they are free, remember? They are free. They have seen everything that has happened. They have seen the plagues. They have seen the blood of the Lamb. They have seen death pass over them. And what do they do in the middle of all of this? They ask to go back. Exodus 14, they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to this desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. A million and a half people were just giving, given parting gifts from one of the most powerful nations on the earth. And they're already asking to go back. In fact, 14 times throughout their entire experience, they say, we were better off back there. I don't have my, my parents or Lindsay's parents, they did not serve in the armed forces, but we both have a grandfather who did. They both served in World War II. They both served uh, in, in Europe. In fact, when we cleaned out their homes after they passed away, both of us found where they had kept a flag, a Nazi flag, from where they conquered one of their strongholds. And it was signed by everyone that was there with them. I can't imagine, though, their reaction to the world we live in today. I can't imagine what my grandfather would say when he turned on the American news and saw an American city with Americans holding a Nazi flag marching down the street. I can't imagine how much pain that would bring him. Because he sacrificed his youth to go and get rid of that. Friends of his died so that flag would not be waved, and yet here it is, 
in the country that he fought for. You see, here's a habit that we have of doing, especially in a spiritual sense. Even though we're free, we really like to go back. We really like to go back because going back is easier. Here's the truth we have to understand. The Christian life is not an easier life, but it is a freer one. Jesus says, if you're coming after me, if they did all this to me, guess what? They're going to do this to you too. If the world hated me, they will hate you as well. But that doesn't mean that we're any less free. It's easier to go back, though. But Hebrews 6 gives us a dire warning. It says, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. He says, they are, when a Christian tastes everything that God can do for them and sees everything that God can do for them, and yet they chose to go back and shackle themselves to this world, it's just like they're crucifying Jesus all over again. And he uses a word that's really strong. He says it is impossible for them to come back to repentance. And I know that those of you who are still awake, that your, your alarm's going off in your head. Impossible. So you're saying a Christian who becomes a Christian, who falls away, will never come back to be a Christian. Here's what I believe, and here's what a lot of theologians believe about this verse. We believe that there's nothing impossible with God. But we also believe this. If you've tasted and seen everything that Jesus has given you, and you still choose to go back, then there's a good chance that you're never going to want to come back to Jesus. If it wasn't good enough for you the first time, there's a good chance you're not going to come back a second time. And this is the danger that you and I fall in. We say we're free. We celebrate that Jesus died for our sins, and yet what we want is for our life to be easy. We want our life to be comfortable. And when we look at the way the world treats Christians, and we are so terribly reminded last week of what happens to people who go to church, and it was a wake-up call for the church in America. Folks, it happens every week around the world. That's the reality of being a Christian. Then when we look at that, all of a sudden not going to church looks a little bit better. When we look at the fact that we might lose friends because we're telling them we're not going to do the things that they do, we're going to look back at our lives when we were popular and we're going to say, that, that looks a whole lot better. When all we have is all we have is prayer to try to free us from hard times, and all of a sudden that time that we used to drink ourselves or smoke ourselves into comfort, looks a whole lot better. And what we do instead of living as free Christians is we try to go back 
and we put on the shackles of the things that once held us prisoner. Folks, look at Galatians 5.1. It is for what? Freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Why did Jesus set you free? Not, not rhetorical. Why did Jesus set you free? Freedom. Say it again. Why did Jesus set you free? Freedom. Why did Jesus set you free? Freedom. He didn't set you free so that you would go back. He didn't set you free from Egypt so that you could go back there. He set you free so that you could have life in Him. And it may not be the easiest life, but it's the best life. It may not be the most comfortable life, but it's the freest life. And it's the only life that when death comes knocking at your door, God says, no entry. Move along. That's it. So don't go back. Don't go back. You see, God is the only master, the only king, the only Lord, and the only Savior that brings freedom when we follow Him. Anything else that we follow does not make us free. And that includes yourself. When you just do things because you feel like it, when you just try to please yourself and you live for yourself, all you're doing is shackling yourself to yourself. And by the way, the Bible says that you cannot by yourself earn salvation. And so you're not free. And so I know that it's hard. But this week, when you're alone and the family's in bed and you're on your computer, remember that you're free. And don't shackle yourself back to pornography. When you're really stressed out, remember that you're free. And don't go shackle yourself to alcohol. When you're with your friends and they're talking about things that you know you shouldn't talk about, remember that you're free. And don't go back to be a gossip. And when you go throughout life, remember you're free. So you don't have to hold on to unforgiveness and you don't have to hold on to burdens. So don't go back and shackle yourself to the fact that you can't forgive someone or that you're angry at someone or that you're bitter. Don't go back to Egypt. You're free. And you need to start living like it. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And just as the Israelites walked through that water, our path to forgiveness and our path to our life in Christ passes through water as well. That when we accept Him as our Savior, when we are obedient to Him in baptism, when we make that personal choice that I accept Jesus as our Savior, it wasn't my parents making this for me, it was me voluntarily saying, I accept Jesus as my Savior. I want the blood of the Lamb over the doorpost of my life. Then we are obedient to Him, we give our life to Him, we are baptized into Him, and we are free. And that's an invitation that we have every single week. And I I don't want to try to scare you into Jesus. But I do want you to know that life is frail. 
And that death that's been knocking at your door that you may think is really far away may not be that far. And if Jesus is not the Lord of your life, then God does not block the path when death comes for you. And that's an eternal separation from God. And so this morning, as in every Sunday, we invite anyone who wants to make that commitment, that, that, to make that statement, to make the best decision that you will ever make in your life, that Jesus is the Lord of my life, then we invite you to come forward. But for the, all of us today, the challenge is this. Do not go back to those things that hold you captive. You have been set free to be free. Do not go back. Let's pray. Father God, we we thank you for purchasing our life. We thank you that the true Passover lamb has come, that Jesus did everything that was necessary so that we could have life with you. And Father, I pray today if there's someone here who has not made that decision that you would work in their heart, that they would not harden their heart, that they would not put it off, that they would come and just say, I believe that Jesus is who he says that he is, that he can do what he says he's going to do. Father, thank you for protecting our hearts. Thank you for setting us free. And we know that freedom isn't easy, but it's worth it. Give us resolve to stand firm then. Father, help us not to go back. Father, may we as a church surround each other and support each other so that we don't go down a path we don't want to go down. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the blood that saves us. And Lord, we do look forward to life for eternity with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.